Welcome back to the Sip and Feast podcast, episode number 19, I believe this is. 18. 18, thank you, Tara. This is pasta fagiole, or pasta vizul, or pasta and beans. This is a discussion of one of the most quintessential Italian dishes, and definitely an Italian-American favorite. And we're going to go into, again, the little bit of history in there, how to make it really good, and we'll share a couple personal stories about pasta fazool. How's that sound, Tara? Sounds good. So what are we doing next? Let's talk about pasta fazool. Let's describe it maybe for folks who aren't familiar with it, because I think for many people, even if they live in this area, they might not have actually had it. They may have heard about it, right? Because it is kind of a thing in pop culture. It's been in songs, right? Like that song, I think everybody knows it's Amore. One of the lines in it, when something starts to drool like pasta Oh, really? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, I think it would be helpful if you take a few minutes and describe it. We'll go more into detail later about it, but it's simply at its core pasta and beans. So think of this dish as typically done with white beans, um, sometimes other types of beans, but it's a small pasta, beans in a broth. Some people will make it brothier. Some people will make it more thick. Uh, Really a peasant dish, super peasanty and cheap, where you can feed a whole family for a few dollars with this one. That's right. Any more detail you want me to give right now on this? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many different ways to make pasta fazool. Yes, the basics are that it is usually a small pasta shape, like a ditalini tubetti or or elbows, and then some type of bean, like cannellini beans, navy beans, uh, or borlotti beans, which are used widely in, in Italy, but they're harder to find here. Also, they're called cranberry, cranberry beans, beans here in America. That's right. Yeah. Sometimes you start it with some pancetta or bacon, but you don't have to, right? Sometimes there's yeah. tomato. Sometimes there's a lot of tomato. Sometimes there's no tomato. Yeah, and so there's a bunch of different ways to do it. You can, yeah, start with olive oil, lard. Traditionally, uh, if you go really far back, I would say, and we'll again, we'll get into it in a sec, it would be done with lard, which is most Italian dishes were done with lard instead of olive oil. Olive oil is kind of like a more recent thing and a healthier thing, obviously. The main distinction, I would say, with pasta vizool to someone who maybe thinks of themselves as an expert in it or who grew up with it like I did, probably the dish I ate the most that I was like almost forced to eat. It's a very simple thing. So then restaurants that, or people who maybe don't know so much will try to make it something that it's not. And this could all the way be from like a Bon Appetit article to uh, maybe New York Times cooking, or it could be the Olive Garden or Carabas or something. They try to like put like 48 ingredients in it. And that is really not what pasta vizool is, though it can be, but it's it's a it's a dish of the poor. That's right, and it's a soup that I would also say is a very creamy soup, but there's no cream in it. Yeah, it's creamy because of the beans. Yeah, and the way the pasta is cooked. That's right, right. The starch, the, so te- that's the technique Im- of how you cook. That's it. an important part of making it, which we'll go into a little bit later. Now. Because I I just mentioned that there's all different variations on how to make it. And these variations can be from different regions of Italy, but it can vary from even within a family. And I'm using your family as the example. 
because I know your grandma made it one way, your mom made it a different way, and you make it a little bit different than how they both made it. Is that right? Often you, you'll you see, and some of the recipes that have been fleshed out more uh, on videos where I've done maybe four different versions like Sunday sauce, you might get the feeling that Jim doesn't really cook the same any one time, and you would be correct to assume that. And as you become a better cook, as you really start learning the knowledge of this and taking these recipes, and as I always say, making them their, making them your own, you won't have a recipe per se either. But I, I will just say my grandmother and mother's, they were fairly similar, their recipes. They weren't very different. When I put it on uh, the YouTube video and when I put it on the site, I wanted to make it a little bit different then I guess how most people probably around this area of the country will do it. And the way most people in this area of the country, they will do it with a lot of garlic. And I'm generalizing here. Uh, you, no doubt you might have, you might be from here too. And you, you're, you might, your Nona might have a really involved version. But for the most part, it would be Ditalini pasta. That's like the pasta that's used. And then it would be cannellini beans. And it would be olive oil. And it would be a lot of garlic, hot red pepper flakes, and that's pretty much it, okay? Just a little bit of tomato, maybe three or four tomatoes from a 28-ounce can. Take those, take a few of those tomatoes, just squeeze them in there. Mm -hmm. So not quite a Bianco, but very close. And that, and then a lot of water in there. You, you know, you want to get fancy, add a little bit of chicken stock, but most people probably weren't doing that. That's my mother and how my grandmother did it, and that is really the core Pasta Vizul, that is the most common way it's prepared all across the New York, New Jersey metro. Mm -hmm. How can I speak for all those people? Maybe I'm wrong here. This is a very inexpensive, very accessible, very cheap, quick dinner, mm -hmm. you know, dish. Now, you use rosemary in your pasta fazool. Did your grandma make it with she rosemary might have and your mom didn't? Or? Occasionally, my grandmother might have used it, but for the most part, she was doing how, mm -hmm. how I just described. And your mom never did use rosemary. No, no, no herbs really get into mm -hmm. it. Uh, that would be more of like a northern Italian thing. Where, okay. And I just wanted to make the recipe a little different. So I put a little bit of rosemary in there. A little I bit do like it. And a little bit of pancetta. I like the rosemary in But it. as far as the sofrito and stuff like that, and we spoke about that in last week's episode with the chicken parm, mm -hmm. It, and it, it was a it was an offshoot in that discussion about how you know the er, earliest immigrants that came to this country, they were doing the bolognese, and then when you know when the great uh, wave happened, that wasn't a dish that they brought with them because they were all from southern Italy, and that whole carrot, celery, onion, sofrito in every dish is not a common thing, mm -hmm. or as common as it is in other parts of Italy, and that. That goes to pasta vizul as well. It's it's rare to see that. So if you if you, if you Google the recipe online and you get you know Olive Garden copycat recipe, it'll have chunks of that. It'll have sausage in it. It'll have a bunch of herbs in mm -hmm. it. It'll just that that maybe it'll have like multiple beans. It's not yeah. something that is really that I wouldn't call that pasta vizul at that point. I think later we'll talk about how to make it. Right. I mean, obviously, you have videos on it. We have instructions on the website, but I'd really like for you to to walk us through how it's made. But before we do that, I think it would be helpful to share a little bit of context or the backstory of pasta fazool, if you will, or pasta fagioli. It's very important. And we're doing this in every episode now. So we're in case you're new here, we talk about one dish 
We talk about the history of it in America, the history, the historic part of it, where it originated in Italy. We, we're not giving you a dissertation on that because there's a lot of conflicting info on most of these recipes. And even this one that Tara's going to go over right now, you, you'll learn. According to some of the research that I've done, pasta fazool stems from the beans and grains soups that were very popular during the Roman Empire. Fast forward a little bit, Neapolitan cuisine was broken out into two different categories. They had cuisine for the wealthy and they had cuisine for the poor folks. And pasta fazool was something that the poor folks would eat. So it was basically ignored by the chefs or the people who prepared the food for the wealthy class. So there is a legend that the noble folks would dress up in a poor person's clothing and they would kind of sneak into a <laughs> tavern so that they could taste this peasant pasta fazool because they had heard about it. And they, I must have heard that it was good if they're willing to dress up Interesting. You know, in those clothes and, and kind of pretend to, to be poor for a couple of hours so they could taste the food. So anyway, so that's, that's a legend. The dish was originally made with the only beans that were available in Italy during the time of the Roman Empire. And those were black-eyed peas, which originated in West Africa, I believe. So that was those beans were brought to Italy through the various trade routes. Then in the year 1528, Pope Clement VII introduced different beans into the regions of Tuscany and Veneto. And these were beans that were actually imported from the Americas. And that was in the 16th century. And then since then, it's evolved into the pasta fazool that we know today. So those beans were in coming from the Americas. I would assume that's when tomatoes were introduced into Italy as well. Yeah. It's possible it because I know be. tomatoes are not, came from the Americas. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So give or take, give or take 20, 40 years, that's yeah. when tomatoes. It's yeah. so odd thinking of Italian food during that during that period of time without tomatoes. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It I mean, is. Yeah. It is. So I think it's impossible to talk about pasta fazool without talking about why there's a difference in the way we pronounce the dish. So in Italian, the classic Italian that you're taught in, in school, um, I think that kind of stems from the region of, of Tuscany and, and Florence, that area. The word for beans is fagioli. It's F-A-G-I-O-L-I, fagioli. Now, Italy, before it was unified and, and had its own official language, there were different regions yeah. that had their own languages or dialects. And to be honest, I mean, if you look at some of the uh, spelling and pronunciation of, of Sicilian specifically, it is kind of its own language. Definitely. It's not even like a dialect. Things are, are, are different. Yeah, we have a book in front of us right I, here. I do. So one thing I wanted to point out was um, the Neapo in the Neapolitan dialect, it's not spelled fagioli. It's spelled fasule, and that's F-A-S-U-L-E. In Sicilian, it's fasola, F-A-S-O-L-A. 
So we know from yeah. prior episodes where we talked about the waves of immigration that most of the, the folks who came to the U.S. from Italy were from those southern regions, Naples, yeah. Sicily, Campania, those areas. And they brought with them their pronunciation for words. So fasule eventually became fazul. Interesting. Good history lesson there. And I think you did it better than most because I've even like tried to look this up and, you know, often we'll get the comments on the videos. A lot of them are nasty comments from Italians. I would assume people in Italy, but you know, often I don't know, you know, it could just be some, some troll in the, in the Midwest of America, but they'll, they'll be like, that's not it. But you know, this, I mean, this is a this is a book. When, when is this book yeah, from? So yeah, so I, I do have a book. For those who are listening, I am just showing our camera. Those who, yeah, those who are watching, yeah, yeah. No, but for oh, those yeah. who are listening, yeah. I am showing you a page of a book. This is a cookbook that I purchased when I visited Sicily in 2002, and they have a recipe for their version of pasta fazool, which is called pasta cafasola. So it's yeah. beans and pasta. And just to show the variation in dishes to further illustrate that, this is very different because it's not made with a short pasta. Yeah, They use tagliatelle and they use a cauliflower in it. The rest of it is, is similar. So they use an onion, they use the barlotti beans, they use pork rind and olive oil. Interesting. But that's and and that's how it's spelled in Sicilian. Pasta ca fasola. So I wonder, so this is dates back. This book's about what late nineties it was probably written, probably to copyright. Maybe it's a little earlier. I, well, I let's wonder see. Copyright is two thousand one. I mean, I look through this. Every single word is different than what you would see when you're Googling the recipe uh on an Italian food blog, say. Yeah. So a lot of their words will end with a U, which in normal Italian, it does not. So for example, the word for couscous, they have a recipe in here for couscous uh, trapani style. It's couscousu trapanese. Okay. Pasta e ceci, which is pasta with chickpeas, is chichiri capasta. So ca is with. Yeah. As opposed to in Italian, it's e, like right? e, which is e, end. E. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's going to throw people off in general. It's just seeing, even seeing a couscous dish because most people wouldn't even think that. I mean, I, again, I know we're talking Sicilian and not this isn't Italian. I mean, it's they, they are two distinct. There are. There's a lot of North African influence in Sicilian yeah. food. Well, obviously, we can devote many episodes about the difference between different parts of Italy and whatnot. But again, we take kind of like an approach towards the stuff that is here in New York and the stuff that is here in New York and came from that nine, you know, that 1880 to 1920 great migration, which a lot of those people were Sicilian. And obviously the other areas, Southern Italian areas that Tara spoke about before. It's an interesting thing. It, it, it really is. But the scope of that's outside of today's podcast. I think we should go into Pasta Vizul. Yeah. So I do want you to talk about how to make it. Before we do that, I know you were telling me that you had a little bit of an interesting story about yeah. pasta fazool. Do you want to share that? Yeah. Well, I mean, so I got a couple, I got, I got a lot of stories about pasta fazool. So 
one, one story, and I think I alluded to it right in the beginning here, was it was the recipe, the food, it was the food that I had to eat the most growing up. For better or worse, my mother didn't have 500 dishes, okay? And I think that's very common with most mothers, you know, probably your mother, probably your Nona. I, I mean, there are examples where maybe, may, maybe they had a huge repertoire, but for the most part, it's for the reason why it was always like Sunday sauce and meatballs on Sunday, and you know, occasionally special occasion, some brajol or you know, sausages in there and whatnot. But the pasta vizul was definitely a common weeknight dish that my mother would, you know, would frequently make. And she she never made a variation of it. It was always the exact same version. You know, she does, she's not listening here, but, you know, it's a little bit in jest. I, you know, um, it's just a little odd. You know, I think that I think it's a generational thing, too, how she, because we will see in comments. I have my my. You know, I my Nona had the best recipe, and it's like it's just like it's almost like a like a time capsule where things don't change. You can change these recipes at any moment, but yeah, but my mother didn't, and I got a little bored of it. I got I got a little bored, and I'm speaking for my brother here. I know he would say the same thing. But then, probably after I got out of high school, went to college, did a little cooking in college for for my friends, and then got my first place. I, uh, the desire for pasta vizul, the way my mother made it, uh, came back. So I started making it. But I think when I was on that regimen of every week or every, every two yeah. weeks, it was, it was a little too much. You get kind of tired of things if you eat yeah. it over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Before I tell my other story, I'll let you, you tell your story. So I have actually the opposite backstory when it comes to pasta vizul of you. Do you know that I never ate pasta fazool in my life until I was in my 20s. I, I find it a, I find it crazy because your grandmother was was Italian. Yeah, but my again, my grandma, we spoke about this before. My my grandma who was Italian, she passed away when I was in second grade. Okay. And you know, she would have when she would have us over, it would be for like the Sunday meal. So it would be you know, the meatballs and the sauce yeah. and the salad and whatever else she would make. But that was really what I remember her making. Now, I don't remember her making pasta fazool or talking about it. I don't really remember my dad talking about it, although I should probably ask him. I know he did mention that when she would make chicken soup, she would make it with orzo. So I know that about her. But I really do have to spend some time with my dad getting a better understanding of some of the meals that she would make. And she was Sicilian? She was Sicilian from Caltabalota. That I mean, was so where her family was from. So I'm sure she made pasta fazool. She just, it maybe just wasn't a big thing. Or, you know, she, yeah. maybe my grandfather hated it. Maybe he didn't like it. I mean, he was. Yeah, that's true. He was, maybe he know, was like Maybe he was like me when I was in like 11th grade. Yeah, I mean, he was Irish. Yeah. I mean, like, so yeah, maybe, maybe he, he, just maybe he hated it. I So I. I don't know, and unfortunately, my my grandparents are long gone. When my grandma died, my grandpa followed a year and a half yeah, later. So I just I was so young, I didn't get to to really know them in a way that I would have wanted. So anyway, my first time having pasta fazool was I worked for Bear Stearns. I worked in the Metrotech office, which was in downtown Brooklyn, and they had a cafeteria that was 
there. I think it was on the fifth floor. And that's where everybody would go run down, you grab your lunch, go back to your desk and, and eat it. One of my coworkers, she would get the pasta fazool all the time. She was like, oh, it's so good. I love their pasta fazool because they would have it, I think, on Wednesdays. So one day I was like, oh, I'm going to try it. So I got myself a little cup of the pasta fazool and I was like, oh, wow, this is really good. And it actually, they made it very similar to the way you make it. It was not tomato-y at all. It was like very light. Bianco. Like you, Maybe yeah. there was like one yeah. tomato across the whole pot of it. Yeah. Um, but it was creamy and it was delicious and I really, really liked it. Interesting. But that's the first time I had it. I can't believe that. That's crazy. Uh, I'll tell you one story. Now, I could I could tell this story a different way and basically lie about it because it is kind of, you know, I'm sure I'm sure people who don't like me will get a kick out of this more or think that I'm such a, you know, a New York doofus. But I... It's probably like, I think it was like the second or third place I worked at, and they would have soups, two soups per day, so specials. So I would always come in in the morning, and I, you know, the customers would always, they want to know what the special soups are. So it always, I would always ask somebody who was already there, you know, mm -hmm. who was got there earlier than me, who like opened the place. I said, what's the soup today? She said, oh, Jim, we're, we have, uh, you're going to love this. You know, we have chicken noodle, which like we always had chicken noodle, then it was one different one. So she's like, we got chicken noodle. And pasta, pasta e fagioli. And I said, oh, I never heard of that. <laughs> what is that? And then, so I looked, I started looking, like she, we were like looking in the pot, the two of us. She like has the big ladle. Mm -hmm. She's like, it's, and she's like, it's beans in this small pasta. And I go, that's not, I go, I don't know what, what you just said. I go, that's pasta vizul. And then I go, that's my mom's <laughs> pasta vizul. And then uh, I think it was like the owner or the cook. I think it was like the, the guy in the back. He's like, Jim, that it's the same thing. <laughs> so I was like such a, just a, you know, an idiot 17 year old who, who didn't know. And I think that was when I first learned that pasta vizole and pasta vizul yeah. are indeed the same mm -hmm. thing. And they made it exactly how my mother made it. So get that's back to before saying how, the way I originally described it is how most places will indeed make it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good story. <laughs> it's uh, more ammunition for Jim being a moron. So how do you make it? So yeah, it doesn't normally have meat, but you can absolutely have meat in it. Uh, typically, probably the oldest versions. I mean, if you go all the way back to the Roman Empire that Tara was saying with black eyed peas, but I don't think anybody's making it with black eyed peas anymore, but it would probably always be started with lard. So more modern way to do it is you can use lard or you can just take about four or five ounces of pancetta and start it that way. Can you use bacon? Yes, you can use bacon if you want. and Or you could just, if you want to do a vegetarian version, just go straight for olive oil. So all that pancetta does is, do, what does it do, Tara? It gives you fat. Gives you fat. Yeah. And you know, you'll notice a theme in all Italian cooking, but not just that, all cooking in any cuisine, yeah. you must always start, start with a fat. You must always start with a fat. Mm -hmm. All cooking is the same, whether it's Italian food, French food, uh, Asian food, whatever, you must start with fat. Mm -hmm. Even if you have an air fryer. They got that place Mogu, Mogu next to us now, right? It's they're making Chinese food with no no oil or something, like no wax. That's my understanding. I don't know. I haven't been there, so I can't say. Yeah. But no, for the most part, you have to use fat when you start dishes. So for pasta vizool, you're going to start with your fat, whether it's pancetta or oil. Then you're going to, right after that, add your garlic in. And if you want to do onion and garlic, you probably do your start with your onion first, mm -hmm. maybe about five, seven minutes. 
get it translucent, then add your garlic in. I typically like to just use garlic, okay? Put the garlic in. If you, if you want hot red pepper flakes, after that garlic gets golden, a couple minutes, and you're on about medium heat here, maybe a little bit less than medium, mm-hmm. then you would add your hot red pepper flakes 30 seconds. After that, then, you know, you can put in water or stock. And if you are going to use tomatoes, you would put your tomatoes in first and cook them in that oil-garlic mixture for a couple minutes. So I typically will take only a couple tomatoes. You'll take a can of whole plum tomatoes and you just pull out, what, one or two tomatoes from that can? Yeah, I think I think I have three in the recipe. Okay. And, you know, in a 28-ounce can of plum tomatoes, which 28 ounces is your standard American can, mm-hmm. I always say that in our videos because I think that's – I always want to tell people what are the standard unit of measurements. It's always a 28-ounce you know, we're not talking the big cans that restaurants use. And uh, and then it'll also be a six-ounce can of tomato paste, which is another standard unit can. Now, could you use tomato paste instead of using the definitely, canned tomatoes? Definitely. And I'm I'm almost positive they do that in Sicily because Sicily uses so much tomato paste. That's mm-hmm. where the most of the tomato paste yeah. in Italy is made and probably used. Interesting. Yeah. I just use a couple tomatoes. And then you put your liquid in. Mm-hmm. So I would start like maybe four, four to five cups. Now this depends if you're going to do a half a pound of pasta or a full pound of pasta. Mm-hmm. But you would get them in there. Then you could put your with the liquid. You can like kind of like remove all the brown bits on the bottom of your pan, and then you can get and you're doing this in like a Dutch oven pot or whatnot. And you add your beans in. Now if you're going to use fresh beans like dried beans, and you would do that the night before where you would cook them mm-hmm. and get them soft because. You can soften them yourself at this point, but your dish will take a very long time then. Yeah. I mean, then you can use an Instapot or something like that, but you guys know how I feel about an Instapot. So, (laughs) you know, I mean, listen, Instapot is a good tool for making beans. It, you know, if you remember, do definitely do it then. But I just, I normally just reach for the canned beans. The canned beans. So much easier. Yeah. That's what I use too. Yeah. It used to be a better, the price difference used to be a lot greater. So you used to be able to, um, like a bag of dried beans used to be 89 cents and the cans were like 69 cents to a dollar. So normally it's, it takes about three and a half of those cans. Mm -hmm. So uh, of those 16 ounce cans. So there would be a good arbitrage there between dried beans and cans. Now, remember you're not pricing in your labor, which your labor is a part of it. So Mm -hmm. when you price in your labor after using dried beans, it might actually exceed the canned beans. But now I noticed that Dried beans are two dollars or or more for a pound, and still you'll find the cans often at like Stop and Shop as a loss leader for still that same price. So mm-hmm. it's it's not as much of a difference anymore. Yeah. So you know when time is tight, and I know many of you are cooking for your families. You know what could have happened didn't. So you gotta you gotta be able to make that adjustment right away. Yeah. So you get your canned beans in there, you let them cook. And then you can add your pasta into your pot of liquid. So the beauty of doing this dish and cooking the dried pasta in your bean and water and garlic broth and everything is that pasta is going to release a starch and it's going to absorb the flavor of the liquid, making it very creamy, almost like you put cream in it when you did it. Mm-hmm. Can you do this the other other way, boil your pasta separately? Of, of course you can. I do think it's far superior to do it the way uh, that you're cooking the pasta in the broth, which is a very, very common technique from... This dish to pasta chechi to pasta patat to pot you know pasta lentiki, 
um, pasta con broccoli. The list goes on and on. You would you would do this for for it, mm-hmm. but you can do all those dishes by not doing that too. Just doing your pasta separately. Would you ever use wine? Then you're getting then away like from the peasants. Fancy, yeah, you're getting right? a little bit more fancy. Yeah. And I, you know, I do do it a little bit. My recipe has a little bit of rosemary in there too, so that is a little bit, little bit more fancy. I would say it is. Yeah, but I do think it adds good flavor and it complements the beans. It's a beautiful flavor. I, I, my my only concern is always that recipe. Our pasta bazool kind of it it treads closely to our Tuscan bean soup. Mm-hmm. Our Tuscan well, bean, the soup, bean is soup does not blended. have pasta. In it doesn't it. have pasta, and it has carrots. And, yeah, right. It has, has sofrito. the sofrito. Yeah. I think it's it's different. And when you're making a Tuscan quote unquote Tuscan soup or whatever, north a northern Italian thing, you would you would definitely have a sofrito. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing when you're doing pasta azul in that southern 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 way, you probably wouldn't have the the sofrito. Though though you definitely can. Yeah, yeah, you definitely can. It's really one of those dishes that, like I said earlier, varies from region to region. And I we talked about how the Sicilian version, at least according to this cookbook, that's just one version is completely of it. different. Yeah. But even that it differs between members of the same family. So it's just something that I think continues to morph and evolve depending on what's available to you, yeah. what even what mood you're in. Like your recipe can be one way one week and then the next week it's something different. Well, that's so. what I like about these dishes. So mm-hmm. once you learn the technique of how to of how to do this, you can take any ingredient you want and do it with it. I mean, there's ones that are that we're going to do is you uh for the fall, you could take a pumpkin and then you get the pumpkin puree from it and then you would cook your pasta in the pumpkin puree. That sounds really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So any any dish like that is possible. Or you could do it with butternut squash. Do would you add and forgive me if you said this already? Would you add a Parmigiano Reggiano rind? I to do. It? I do add it most of the time. Uh, if you got your rinds, definitely do it. That any soup like that is the time to mm-hmm. use your rinds. Yeah. Now, when you serve it, are you serve is when you serve pasta fazool for dinner? Are you serving it as the main course, and how are you finishing it when you serve it? So you know, this is a this is a common issue too, where, you know, you want to be Italian. You're not. You're always going to have, you know, those courses. If you want to be American, you're always going to serve the pasta azul as your main course. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, a lot of places like in delis and restaurants. This is a, such a peasant dish that you will rarely see pasta azul at a restaurant. That's that's another. Yeah, it's like a pizzeria. You can get it and and delis. Yeah, and like yeah, obviously like the chain restaurants like Carabas and uh, Olive Garden will have it, but you're not going to find it at a, a more fine dining establishment right. mm-hmm. for the most part. Though, yeah. And if you do see it though at one of those places, they're going to charge you a lot for it, and then you're like, oh man, you know, it's, it's this costs three dollars to make, and they're char- they want to charge yeah. me eighteen dollars for a bowl of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we ever open up a restaurant, we should serve eighteen bowls of eighteen dollar bowls of pasta fazool, Tara. Never charge anybody eighteen dollars for <laughs> pasta fazool. They are charging so much for everything lately. It's out of control. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Everything is extremely expensive and not affordable. All right. So 
anything else you want to talk about with regards to Pasifazul? I just want to tell people, Tara, to make it your own. I have two videos on the channel. We have the regular pasta vizool. We did a sausage pasta vizool where I did larger pasta. I made it more, I made it brothier. That's I did right. it with penne. I did, I, since we were already using sausage, I said, you know, let's go for the chicken stock here. Mm -hmm. I really want you to make it your own. Does it have to be uh, cannellini beans? Does it have to be borlotti beans? No way. If you want to use fava beans, if you want to, you know, once you add chickpeas in there, you're essentially making pasta e chachi. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you have just, uh, what are those white beans that aren't cannellini navy beans? beans? Yeah, navy beans. It's all about using what you have. Right. If you want to put an anchovy or two in the oil after your garlic, that would be great. You yeah. can make this completely vegan. You can make this for a meat eater. It's really versatile. It is. And then change up the pasta. So my grandmother would always, and my mother to this day does this. She would always, because she would always be like making like different size portions of it. So she would have all these different shapes of pasta in like, and this will ring true to you if you, you know, if you grew up with your grandmother and, you know, like she had like the basement kitchen, there would be like quarter pound of this or six ounces of this one. So it'd be like, oh, the little uh, pastina and then orzo and then ditalini and uh, farfalli, uh, what was it, little farfalini? Yeah, those are the little bow ties. The little bow yeah. ties are great in like the beef soup. The beef soup and the chicken, chicken soup. and the chicken soup. Yeah, but yeah, she would have all these different types, and you can mix and match this, or you could do spaghetti or linguine and crack it, mm -hmm. as we did in the zucchini soup. That's right, the yeah. broken spaghetti, the broken spaghetti yeah. soup. Yeah. All right, let me stop it. So I hope this little talk about pasta vizool will encourage you if you haven't made it to make it. I also hope it encourages you to not follow those really, really bad recipes online that are saying copy, uh, Olive Garden copycat. That's not what this dish is. It's not, it shouldn't be a medley of colors. I don't know if I stressed that enough in this tower. Did, did I, or I didn't? Well, it should be what you want it to be, right? So you're you're gonna be the devil's advocate I'm gonna be here. devil's advocate. Okay. Yeah, Do is, is Olive Garden using like probably an authentic recipe? No, probably not. I never had anything good from the Olive Garden. <laughs> I don't like the Olive Garden. I don't enjoy it. I think the last time I was there was when I was in my early 20s. So, yeah, you, may, you probably don't want to use an Olive Garden copycat recipe. I would say if you- Why would you have a cop? Why would you want to copy the Olive Garden? Uh, well, that's, yeah. That's we, that's a different discussion. That's a different discussion. So, but, but at, at the same time, if you like- the medley of different things, then then make it. I mean, I think that's what we're what our message always is to you is to make it your own. It if is. you like it, you eat it. If you don't like it, don't it eat it and don't knock other people for eating it. Okay. So since since I am knocking knocking it, what I'm saying is, and I I've said this in previous episodes, if you don't want to do use my recipe, use some other recipe that looks a little bit less Involved. There should not be 78 ingredients mm -hmm. for pasta vizool. There shouldn't be Italian seasoning in it. If you, if you ever see a recipe with Italian seasoning, run, run, and don't ever go back to that website. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm putting down, I'm putting my foot down on that right now. It, nothing good will come from any food that has that seasoning in it. It's disgusting. Why would you combine a bunch of stuff into something? Imagine if I like put a bunch of stuff together and call it Chinese seasoning. It would get me in trouble, you know, and, but it wouldn't even, 
there's no such thing. The closest thing you would have for that would be five five spice. It's called Chinese five spice, but that's really only used when you're making like the 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 ribs, mm -hmm. the Chinese ribs, which I love. And then you cut those up for the pork fried rice. What am I gonna? Oh, I'm gonna break out my American seasoning now, you know, and. <laughs> Then I'll get my Canadian seasoning. Actually, Canadians do have a seasoning. They have the <laughs> Montreal. Montreal. <laughs> the Montreal. But do they? Or is that an American thing that Americans have said, this is what they use in Montreal. I'm going to combine it and package it. I think we will never. I don't know. We, we won't ever know. If you know, let us know yeah. in the comments. All right. We're going to move into the questions. Okay. Jim, this first question is from Bob. When roasting a whole chicken, the common theme is to remove the chicken from the oven when the breast is at 160 degrees Fahrenheit and the dark meat is at 175 degrees Fahrenheit. On America's Test Kitchen, they just take this beautiful roasted chicken out of the oven and measure the breast at 160, but they never temp the dark meat. The same thing when cooking a spatchcock bird. They show no method of achieving this, like tenting the breast, etc. So how do they achieve this? If the dark meat is 175, the white meat has to be overcooked. Do you know the secret of accomplishing this, or is this just another mirage from the cooking gurus? Well, Bob, the way you're describing it is that they don't hit the 175 on the dark meat, right? That's the question. They're not hitting it. Look, my, my opinion, when you're ro roasting a chicken is really uh what's that french term that they uh call it? like where do you go to get a roast chicken in, in france like those like they're a like brasserie yeah like a bra well, it's like more of no. an inexpensive place that you go to a bistro a bistro maybe what, what was that place in maine that we went to it was like a little french place that closed down 98 provence yeah something like that you go into yeah i mean that i would say that's like more like a bistro yeah like a bistro i'm, I'm i might be wrong there might be another term but it's a place where you go where you have no-nonsense food. And when I think of a no-nonsense food, I think of a roast chicken. And, you know, I'll tie up a roast chicken sometimes. Sometimes I'll spatchcock it, which for those of you who don't know what that means, spatchcock is when you remove the backbone and you flatten the chicken. So in theory, it will cook at a more even rate. I like to do this when I put them on the grill. But as far as a roast chicken goes, Bob, I will just roast the chicken until I hit my target temperature, which is 160 degrees, and I'll remove it. Will my dark meat be 175 or 180 or 190, which it's good at uh, and better? And the reason dark meat is better is because the muscle fibers in it start to break down and make the meat more tender. When you only cook dark meat to 165, it's not as good as it can be. But yeah, Bob, I'll often just roast to that 160 and I'll be okay with it. And I'm telling you, most places are, they're not most, almost all places are doing this. Now, again, from the question, I don't know if he meant to ask, did America's Test Kitchen take the bird apart and do it? I know Alton Brown did this shield, like this foil shield technique, I saw that was for a turkey, for wasn't a tur it? But the same, the same yeah. thing would work for a chicken. Yeah, the shield was for the breast, right? Yeah, because you wanted the breast want to cook, not to cook as fast. You want that dark meat to cook faster, and the mm -hmm. breast to be to stay uh, b below that like one sixty. Yeah, so it doesn't get tough. Yeah. Okay. But but again, I couldn't really understand by the question. Well, I mean, he said that. With, what's happening is they'll take it out of the oven and they'll only check the temperature for the breast. Yeah. That's, and they never t check the temperature on the dark meat. That's how it's done, Bob. I mean, you got to worry about the breast because if you cook, you don't want to cook your breast to 180 to, to hit your dark meat. Mm -hmm. You got to cook, you got to worry about the breast. Now, you could remove the, you could take your chicken out, let it sit for five minutes, you know, to, so the juices stay in. 
You could remove your breasts and then, you know, tent them with foil and then throw the chicken back in the oven, I suppose. But, you know, roast chicken, I'm trying to go, I'm trying to be real simple. You know, maybe I have potatoes on a baking sheet and just throwing everything in the oven and for, for a good, you know, easy, easy weeknight dinner. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if that answered your question, Bob. We keep getting questions about this. So I figured this is another one that came in. So I figured let's, let's talk about it. And I think part of it's already, we've already talked about it, but the question is, are both you and Tara 100% Italian American? If not, why don't you do other recipes from your other nationalities or talk about that heritage? It's a good question. Um, what's her name? Do you know? It's I, I think the question actually came in on YouTube. So okay. it was a screen name. And so I didn't know what the person's okay. name was. It's a good question. Sorry, we, we didn't write uh, down your name. And I hope I hope you are listening to this one. Uh, I'll back it up. So I'm, I'm half Italian. Uh, my mother, it's my mother's side. She She's 100%. And I, I've said this. I think I said this in a very recent episode. You did. Okay, I did. So no need to go more into that. But that was the food that I had growing up. It was the only food that we were, I always joke, we were a, we were allowed to eat. And there's a lot of truth to that. It's not, it's not really... And my experience is probably very, very similar to many of you who grew up in New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia. I always I always exclude Philadelphia and I shouldn't do that. And so we did this. Originally, I started the website and I had different recipes. In fact, I think the first recipe I ever put on the site was what, Tara? It was like a miso eggplant, right? Mm-hmm. That's right? Which we just updated. Yeah. So that one's still on the site. But anyway, I was like trying my hand at different things. I did like a braised, like a French uh, braised um, short ribs. I had uh, I had a variety of, of ethnic cuisines, but I read, started taking to heart a lot of um, like brand building advice and stuff. And it said, you really got, you know, the you got to focus on a niche. Mm-hmm. The riches it, are in the niches. The riches are in the niches. There's a lot of truth to this. Uh, there are people that have succeeded outside of it. And I'll tell a couple of them would be like Joshua Weissman. You know, he just makes everything. That's That would be fairly typical for, for a Jewish American like him. I mean, what is he going to do? What, what, he has to he has to do everything. And there's other people on YouTube that are the same way. Like Sam the Cooking Guy. He just makes everything. And there, there's a lot of people like this. There's not a lot. There's a few of them that are successful. But for me... My knowledge base, the main knowledge base that I have is in Italian American food, specifically the food from New York. Like I kind of like an encyclopedia on it because I've I've lived here my whole life. And again, it was the only food that I was able to really eat growing up. I mean, does that answer the question, I guess? Or Well, why is it that you – yeah, I guess it does, but yeah. you don't talk about food from your other – did oh, my other heritage? Your other heritage. Well, my, okay, so my dad is is a mutt. My dad's father, uh, my dad's grandfather was adopted. So there's like a break in that ethnicity, you know, knowing. And there was no cooking in his family. His mother was Irish. His father was like a union docks worker, you know, like it was meat and potatoes. And my dad grew up in an apartment in Bushwick, not a good place, you know, and- just um, and and food wasn't really a part of what they had growing up. So there was my my dad. Now he he just I think that's part of the reason why he married my mom was just so he can have. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason why your father you know married married Angie. It's my dad wanted I guess some better food. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's no there's no like 
like long lost recipes on my father's side of the yeah. family and my dad doesn't cook. So, and then, so for me to answer my part, no, I am not 100% Italian American. I am probably 25% Italian. And that is from my dad's mother who was 100% Sicilian. She was the one who did all the cooking. My grandfather who was Irish and probably a little bit Dutch because my last name is Dutch. Um, I don't think he cooked anything. I mean, he relied on my grandma to cook everything. And my mom was raised by her grandma, who was Czechoslovakian, but lived here in, in the US. She was, I think, first generation Czech. She was single, a widow. She was also an executive for, I think, New York Bell, the telephone company that was there. So she, had zero interest in cooking. I think she was a terrible cook. So when my mom met and married my dad, my mom learned how to cook from my grandmother. My dad's mom taught my mom how to cook. So that was Italian food, not pasta fazool, because again, <laughs> never really had it, but she she did teach my mom how to make Sunday sauce yeah. and, and a few other recipes. But... Really, I mean, I, I I didn't really know any Czech or Irish or any other really types of cuisine that would link to my my ancestors or my heritage other than Italian food. Yeah. And my dad was really just obsessed with Italian food, and he still is to this day. I mean, it's like every Sunday he would that's, watch The Godfather. <laughs> I mean, that's New Yorkers in yeah. general. Those are like those are all the restaurants that that were here. Yeah, so another part of this is the whole cultural appropriation issue is an issue that is, I don't know if it's get gaining steam or if it's kind of ending now. It's hard. It really depends which way you see things politically. And also, you know, depending on which way the, you see the country going is either really good or really bad, depending on how you are politically. We don't we don't talk about politics here, but, um, you know, I'd be an idiot to not know what's going on with, like, some other bloggers who have been accused of cultural appropriation. So it's silly. I don't want to be involved in that. I don't want to do it. I just kind of make the food that the food I grew up with. And that's why we always label our site Italian American. You know, it's like a lot of people like to bash it. And those are the, the, there's two types of people that bash it. It's people from Italy who probably aren't from Southern Italy. And it's a lot of people in America, a lot. Because this is a lot of the, it, it, it's maybe people that didn't grow up here in New York. People who grow up in here in New York who have Italian roots, they love this food. You know, they have family members that own pizzerias, delis, butchers, cheese shops, bakeries. And they're all making, no matter what they say, if it, they say it's Italian food, they are making a variation from, you know, they've been here two, three generations. They are making food for Americans. It's Italian American food. And the people here love this food. They love it. it you know, it could be some younger kids who maybe read Reddit a little too much are are very, you know, trying trying to like make things how they once were, but that's not how they're going to be. They are how they are here for that hundred years of people living here or more. Mm -hmm. And evolving and adapting yeah. to there's nothing what's wrong available. with it. There's nothing wrong with liking this type of food here. 
if you don't, this isn't the type of con, this isn't, this isn't the right podcast for you or, and my videos aren't the right videos for you. If you think that like carbonara must be made with guanciale and it can't be made with bacon or pancetta, this isn't the right channel for you. You know, it's, it's just, that's fine. You, we agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, 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 that's it. Yeah. But I'm going to keep doing what I'm going to do and you're going to keep doing uh, what you're going to do. That's right. All right. So we had two questions today. I was hoping for a kiss, marry, kill, but maybe next week, right? Yeah, I think so. We'll yeah. add one for next week. If you give me some crazy kiss, marry, kill, I'm not going to be able to do it. So, you know, if you put like three saints there, I, I can't, you know, this, I'm not going to be able to pick. <laughs> if you pick three really bad people, that's kind of tough too. That is. That yeah. is. So remember, don't forget to submit your questions to podcast at sipandfeast.com. We always include two or three at the end of each episode. We will see you next time.